It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. like to start the show this evening i would like to be able to come on here and say you know what i was wrong i was wrong yet again about president donald trump he is governing like a professional he is governing like a conservative he's being consistent his strategy makes sense in fact it resembles something close to three-dimensional chess it's awe-inspiring uh, it's something that not only am I 100% behind, uh, but I have to I have to eat crow over just how horrifically wrong I got it when I criticized him during his campaign and in the early months of his presidency. I would love, I genuinely would love to be able to come on here tonight and start the show that way. I really would, and you may find that hard to believe because the the more on its face the more believable scenario is wanting to come on and be able to say i told you so i told you so i told you so i told you so but that's that's not who i am genuinely it's not who i am i would and the reason why this i i can make this case for you i can make this case in a believable manner it's not because i have some sort of magnificent virtue right that that i would rather be able to come on here and eat humble pie than to say I told you so. It's because selfishly, I want to live in the world where Donald Trump is right. I want to live in the world where Donald Trump is an effective professional president who is actually doing things that make sense and, and is actually setting the Republican Party up and the conservative movement up for long-term success years from now, generations from now. I want to live in that world. And I would be more than happy to trade being wrong about him publicly in a humiliating fashion. I would rather go through that and get to live in the world of a fantastic presidency that sets us up for a conservative renaissance for years to come than to live in the status quo, which we're going to get into here shortly on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. You can catch up on the podcast right there in the iHeartRadio app. Just do a search for Closing Argument. 651-989-5855, the number to join us this evening. Brad Omlin taking your calls, producing the program. Before we get into the latest with Trump and DACA, which we really didn't have time to touch upon yesterday, I just want to give you a quick update on what's going on with Hurricane Irma. This from the Star Tribune. Hurricane Irma lashed Puerto Rico with heavy rain and powerful winds Wednesday night, leaving nearly 900,000 people without power as authorities struggled to get aid to small Caribbean islands already devastated by the historic storm. Florida rushed to prepare for a possible direct hit on in the Miami area by the Category 5 storm with potentially catastrophic 185-mile-per-hour winds. Nearly every building on the island of Barbuda was damaged when the eye of the storm passed almost directly overhead early Wednesday, and about 60% of the island's roughly 1,400 people were left homeless. 
Antigua and Barbuda Prime Minister Gatson Brown told the Associated Press. Either they were totally demolished or they would have lost their roof, Brown said, after returning to Antigua from a plane trip to the neighboring island. It is just a really horrendous situation. And uh, it looks like President Donald Trump, if we scroll down a little bit, is approving emergency declaration for the U.S. Virgin Islands in Puerto Rico. You know, lest we forget, these are our countrymen that uh, live in these United States territories. That means the Federal Emergency Management Agency and other agencies can remove debris and give other services that will largely be paid for by the U.S. government. And so, you know, right on the heels of Hurricane Harvey and the devastation in Texas, it's currently happening again. It's currently happening again in the Caribbean, and it's about to, it looks like, hit uh, our our neighbors in Florida. So w- what can you say? This is, uh, it's it's not a good season um, for, for folks who find themselves in this path, but it does present an opportunity for the rest of us to demonstrate who we are and to, to exercise our shared values. So let's turn from, from that morbid, imminent consideration to this issue of DACA, the, what is it, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So I, I read about this yesterday, as I'm sure you did. I've heard a lot of news coverage about it, and I still don't understand what is happening right now. Like, I mean, I get the facts, right? Like, I understand that Barack Obama signed this executive action which kind of arbitrarily decided that they weren't going to enforce the law. They weren't going to deport the children of illegal aliens who were brought here after birth, but at some point in their childhood, three years old, four years old, whatever the case may be. I get that. I get that Trump rescinded that executive action, kind of, but is sort of lukewarm in terms of what he wants to see happen moving forward. And that's about it. And I understand that the left's hysterical because the left's always hysterical. Any chance they get, any excuse they have to go around like Chicken Little claiming that the sky is falling, they're going to do it. So, you know, these these little aspects of the story are clear. What's not clear to me is the overall strategy. And the reason why I started off the program tonight talking about how I wish I could come on here and talk about how Donald Trump is doing a fantastic job and is playing 3D chess is, is because the I can only call it how I see it. And how I see it is that there is no strategy here with this move on DACA. Because what, what Trump has done doesn't strike me as something that anybody is going to like or that anybody does like. Like, if, if, if your perspective is we ought to enforce immigration law, the laws that are on the books, we ought, and we ought to do so to the letter, and that that includes the deportation of the children of illegal immigrants. If that's your position, then I don't know how you're happy about this because that's not actually what's going to necessarily happen now, especially when you have Trump out there suggesting essentially that Congress should re-enshrine DACA in legislation. Like, And I guess like the, the sliver, the thin sliver of people who might be happy right now are those who... We're totally fine with the substance of what DACA did, but objected to the fact that it was an executive action rather than congressional legislation. And I don't know how big that constituency is, but I got to imagine it ain't many people. So just from a pure political standpoint here, I, I don't understand what Donald Trump is trying to accomplish. This is the, the news as it was reported from The Guardian yesterday. 
Donald Trump thrust the fate of nearly 800,000 young undocumented migrants into uncertainty on Tuesday by terminating the Obama-era program that protects the so-called dreamers from deportation. In response, Barack Obama said the decision was self-defeating and contrary to basic decency. He said a shadow has been cast over some of our best and brightest young people once again. The 2012 policy, known as Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, will be phased out by the 5th of March in 2018, leaving Congress with six months to enact new protections for DREAMers, uh, though led uh, through legislation. On Tuesday night, Trump suggested that if Congress failed to legalize DACA, he would revisit the program. All very confusing to me. Now, let's focus in for a second here on Barack Obama. Because this this is a point that needs to be made. <laughs> Absolutely. The fact that this guy, first of all, that he's saying anything whatsoever, right? He really, you know, the historical traditional decorum of ex-presidents is to keep their mouths shut as their successors engage in administration, right? I mean, th- that's that's the proper thing to do. But, of course, Barack Obama has never been one for either recognizing tradition or acting appropriately, so it's no surprise that he would speak out in the wake of Trump's actions here. But secondly, this characterization of the the status quo on immigration as, quote, a shadow that's been cast over some of our best and brightest young people once again. Excuse me, sir, you are president for eight years, two terms, during which you could have pursued lasting policy change and shepherded it through the legislature in order to lift this shadow that's cast over people's lives, right? Like if you really wanted to change the way things are, you could have pursued it as president of the United States. Instead, what Barack Obama did is he decided to take his phone and his pen, right? And he decided to engage in legislative fiat, executive fiat, and try to craft law from the White House. Now, the problem with that is evident in what we see happening right now. When your successor comes along and he has a different opinion from you, all he has to do is take that same pen and draw a big line through your executive action. And that's what Donald Trump effectively, sort of, kind of, just did, right? And so this is a scenario where horrible, horrible leadership on the part of Barack Obama set up a situation where... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Donald Trump, in like, unlike fashion, could also lead in a haphazard way. And that's why we find ourselves so disjointed right now. If you actually went through the legislative process and came up with consensus agreement on what the policy ought to be, then you wouldn't have such such a chaotic situation politically, and you also wouldn't have a shadow cast over the people affected. Let's go to Xavier Bickett, friend of the show and chair of the Republican Liberty Caucus. Welcome to the program. Walter, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So obviously the first thing I have to point to is the Constitution, right, when it comes to immigration. And... 
immigration rules are actually declared in the Constitution authority of Congress. So I do think it was a mistake of uh, Obama to pass this DACA to allow immigration without uh, Congress passing it. I think it was Congress's mistake for not willing to take it on and passing it to the president. So I think Trump is actually doing the right thing here. I mean, yeah, emotions are hurt and people's feelings are bothered by this. That Oh, my God, you're wanting to get rid of all these illegal immigrants. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't see Trump rounding up you know, millions of illegal immigrants to send them home. So what is he doing? He's actually saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to get rid of this executive order. The president does not have the authority to do this. I'm going to pass it to Congress because it's their job to do it. And what did he say? Like you actually you – actually, I give you credit for saying this. He said, hey, if they don't figure it out, I'm going to revisit this issue in, I think it was like six months or something. So I, I, I'm not a Trump fan. You know me. So I think he's actually making the right call here, and I think obviously – Democrats or liberals are taking a little bit too personal and too emotional without stopping to think about the Constitution first. Well, I'll grant you that the left is taking it absolutely the wrong way. But let's focus in on this notion that uh, Trump has suddenly become a a raging constitutionalist and that that's what's motivating this action here. to, To me, the fact that he left that window open of I might revisit this kind of undermines the, the claim that you're making that that the reason he did this was in in protest of the executive fiat because he's leaving the door open, presumably. I mean, I don't know what else that statement could possibly mean. I'm going to revisit it, that he's leaving the door open to basically reverse himself and to take some future executive action that without the action of Congress, without the the lawmaking authority of Congress, changes effectively changes our de facto immigration policy. Now, I can't tell you I can see the future or know what Trump's going to do, because I don't know if Trump knows what he's going to do, to right, be honest. Right, right, right. But, but, I mean, you, you, we have to know, hey, politics play a game in this. I remember um, – who went to Keith Ellison and talked about this issue? I can't remember. And they're like, hey, you know what? This is Congress's job to determine this, and they kind of passed the buck to the presidency because they don't want to tackle it. So we can either give him credit or not give him credit, but at least we can both agree if we're both libertarian, constitutional leaning, this isn't the president's decision. This is Congress's decision. And I think giving it back to Congress to decide is the right thing to do. I'm with you. I appreciate it, Xavier. And uh, maybe we'll see you on the show tomorrow. Maybe, maybe. I think we did kind of talk. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about. I want to talk to you about the state fair experience I had being in two days at least. All right. All right. Well, we'll we'll figure it out over the next uh, hour or so, and we'll solidify it. You can text me. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Xavier. Thanks for calling the program. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. I have a hard time swallowing Xavier's assessment of the motivation of President Donald Trump in his action rescinding DACA. Because, you know, look, if his intention was, if he was motivated by a newfound sense of constitutional scholarship, right, and he he just really wanted to ensure that law is crafted in the right way, that we don't have through executive fiat a uh, inappropriate path towards immigration policy that shouldn't exist because it wasn't approved by Congress. If that was his motivation, first of all, he would explicitly say so, right? Like that would be... The, the, the primary focus of his comments on the topic. 
but it hasn't been. His his comments have been a, a mixed bag. You know, he's he's included again. He left the door open to come back and try this again. Uh, he talked about he's talked in the past about how he uh, wanted to deport all people who are here illegally, right? Like he he's had a harder line on immigration in the past. He has now kind of walked that back and softened on it. He he's talked he's he's said that he loves the Dreamers. Like that was one of his comments in in public remarks in the past couple of months or so that he loves the dreamers and he's got a big heart and he's really compassionate so he's been all over the map on this which again goes to the question of what what's the strategy here like who is he trying who does he think he's getting on his side because what's happening right now is he's losing the ann coulters of the world right he's losing the steve bannons he's losing that national populist uh hardcore immigration law enforcement wing that that constituted a vast portion of his base like they are upset with him right now over his lack of conviction when it comes to immigration so he's not pleasing them he's certainly not pleasing the quote-unquote establishment because he's he's putting them in a very awkward political situation we've got an article to that effect here where this is, once again, another cause for uh, summoning a civil war within the Republican Party because members in Congress find themselves between a rock and a hard place. You know, on the one hand, they can take responsibility for either enshrining DACA or taking a hard line against the children of of, uh, illegal aliens. Neither of those situations are something that, you know, scaredy cat politicians want to find themselves taking responsibility for but trump's put them in the position where they have to do something or do nothing and and doing nothing in this case is also doing something right so i I, again i don't know who the constituency is who's pleased by this perhaps it's you closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk it's am 11 30 103.5 fm 651-989-5855 let's go to mike in farmington welcome to the program good evening walter thanks for taking my call yep uh, I I have an idea what might be going on here because by throwing it back to Congress, he's kind of put the onus now on both Democrats and Republicans to say, okay, you guys, you need to try to solve this and we need to make some headway here. But I also think he can have some leverage where he can say, well, okay, Let's give all these people amnesty or let them stay here with the provision that now we're really going to have to get serious about this. Because I think a lot of the base and the Coulter people and people like myself, this is kind of like Reagan amnesty part two. Because if you remember with Reagan, hey, we're going to build the wall and we're going to do all these things. And the Republicans agreed to that. They passed the amnesty. That never happened. Right. The rug was pulled out from underneath the Republicans there. Yeah. Um, but I think this has been a convenient issue for both Democrats and Republicans because they, they can play it on both sides. The Republicans can appease the big business and the cheap labor, and the Democrats, ever since Teddy Kennedy's 1965 immigration bill, we've seen what's happened. In the, you know, those immigrants are voting. Eight out of ten of those people are voting Democrat. It's not helping Republicans. Mm-hmm. So. This is, this is, this. I see. If this doesn't work, and if they give give these people amnesty, 
uh, he, he's going to definitely anger his base, and this is going to have an impact going forward on the elections, not only presidentially, but in the congressional elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate, but these people, I think of the term sins of the fathers, mm-hmm. they came here, they didn't do it right. It's unfortunate. You know, life is not fair. Right. But when you do things the wrong way, there's a price to pay for that. Well, and and there's another angle to that because I don't disagree with you, but there's another angle to that too, and 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 that is there's there's a responsibility that was shirked in terms of enforcing the law promptly, right? Like if the, if the law had been enforced promptly, then you wouldn't have a people who have who have spent effectively their entire lives here as de facto Americans even if in name only, even if without the legal status, you wouldn't have people who have grown up, known the language, known the culture, and consider themselves to be Americans, but don't have the status because they were brought here illegally as children because it would have been taken care of promptly when they first came across the border. So it's the, it's a lack of enforcement which has, which has put us into the situation that we find ourselves in well, now. There's just a few other points I want to make because you when, when you read the script there or the news article, Donald Trump, you know, or... His decision affects the fate of. No, it wasn't Donald Trump that did that. It was the, those families that decided to come here. Once they performed that one wrong action by coming here, that set all this in motion. Mm-hmm. They would have done it the right way, those 800,000 people. And what about all the American citizens that have been, their identities have been stolen? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They've been murdered, killed. All kinds of horrible things have happened to American citizens. And who's going to speak for them? And my last point is simply this. If you really want to get serious about this, folks, you go after the businesses. Once you start putting penalties and going through these businesses that are employing these people, they will self-deport. We didn't bust these people in. We didn't fly them in on 747s. They got here with the lure and the promise of a job and a better life. I can appreciate that, but there is a right way to do it, folks. Appreciate your call, Mike. As always, let's quickly take Jim from Hudson. Welcome to the program. Yeah, say, uh, yeah, I, I guess I want to talk about the cruelty thing, but also, you know, these these attorney generals that are challenging this, they're risking uh, the question of whether the original Obama action was itself constitutional. Um, somebody's likely to file a brief saying that the original action wasn't right. right. On the cruelty right. issue... Um, I've heard this montage, you've probably heard it, of all people saying, well, it's, what Trump's doing is cruel. You hear that word cruelty over and over in every soundbite. And um, what's, what's ironic about that is what they're saying is to send someone to Mexico is inhumane and cruel. And I, I just like, what does that mean? I mean, if I was Mexico, I'd be insulted. You know, if I was a Mexican, I'd be insulted. You're you're insulting my country. Sure. Um, and um, and then and then further, oh, and they they talk about all these kids that 
that they don't speak any Spanish. They're, they're, they only speak English. Right. Yeah. So to send a 17, 18 year old kid into a foreign country where he doesn't speak that language, that's mm-hmm. cruel. And yet, what are we being asked to do? To right. open the doors sure. to endless people from Mexico that don't speak English, they only speak Spanish. Right. So, I mean, the irony, I mean, it's it just, and, and the inability of, of I mean, and maybe Trump will come back with this, but, you know, the, the inability to fight that rhetorical war is, uh, or battle is, is, you know, kind of disappointing. I appreciate your thoughts, Jim. You, uh, you definitely provide some provocative material. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just it, is I, I don't see the, the narrative here coming out of the Trump administration outside of basically just throwing a hot potato at Congress and seeing what they do with it for, I, I don't know, amusement, maybe? That seems like the only rational thought I can think of. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, As you may have noticed, folks on the left do love to protest. Any opportunity they get, they're out there protesting. Even over the weekend, even before, even on Labor Day itself, they were protesting this DACA thing. Uh, we had an article here in the Star Tribune. Let me pull it here for you. Under a banner reading, Minnesota ain't fair, about 100 protesters gathered Sunday at Hamlin Park in St. Paul. Half that number then marched to the state fair, forcing the closing of the fair selling Avenue entrance for a short time. Uh, at the park, speakers including several moms, wives, and other family members of those loved ones who have been harmed or killed by police. Members of the rally's organizing group spoke about police accountability and the need for clarity and answers from authorities. So this one was about the cops, so that was before the whole DACA thing. Uh, and we had another article here somewhere about protests on Labor Day itself resulting from DACA. So, you know... the. the it's a cause a minute, right? A cause a day that's got folks out there in the streets. And, you know, sometimes the, the things that they have to complain about may have some air of legitimacy. Other times they are obviously uh, inflated for political purpose. And I want to get into one of those that's particularly provocative here on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app. We stream live 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. 651-989-5855, the number to join us this evening. Brad Omlin taking those calls and producing the show. So here's an interesting one for you to consider. Also from the Star Tribune, students gathered at Harvard University on Wednesday to denounce a speech by an author who co-wrote a book discussing racial differences in intelligence and touched off a boisterous protest earlier this year in Vermont, chanting, Black, Brown, Asian, White, Harvard, Unite for Human Rights, and You Can't Turn Us Around. Dozens of students stood on the front lawn of the university's Museum of Natural History to protest the appearance of Charles Murray as his speech got underway inside. Murray, a political scientist who co-authored a book in 1994 called The Bell Curve, has said his views are misunderstood. His speech on Wednesday was closed to the media. Student speakers, part of the organizing Black Students Association and the Undergraduate Council's Black Caucus, condemned what they say is Murray's hateful rhetoric, which they believe is an attack on the existence of minorities. Now, this when I read this, I kind of had to do a little bit of a, a mental double take because the name Charles Murray sounded awfully familiar. 
And the reason why it sounded awfully familiar is because it was just a couple of months ago, recently, here in the Twin Cities, that Charles Murray was the keynote speaker at an event that I attended that was put on by, I believe it was, Intellectual Takeout. And uh, Justice and Drew were also in attendance there as invited guests. And Charles Murray gave a rousing and uh, uh, speech on the the history of Western civilization and the the need for a new generation to rise up to once again embrace the ideas that are fundamental to Western civilization and to protect it and promote it as the light of the world from which uh, liberty casts forth, right? Pretty good stuff from Charles Murray, and I very much enjoyed his presentation. And so as somebody who has seen the guy, heard the guy, uh, listened to him speak, it struck me as odd that he's at the center of a controversy involving the the supposed uh, differences in intelligence amongst the races, right? So I had to look into this for myself to see exactly what it is that they're talking about. And I came across this article by the American Enterprise Institute. It's actually an interview by a gal named Natalie Goodnow from a couple years back, 2014, with Charles Murray in regards to his book, The Bell Curve. Now, the subtitle of the book was Intelligence and Class Structure in American Life. So right there, the, the premise of the book is we're taking a look at how class structure interacts with intelligence, right? So, I mean, how we define class, how do we define class structure in the United States of America? There are a number of ways. Economics is one, you know, geography might be another, and certainly race in, in any responsible social uh, commentary is going to play a role in the discussion of class structure. So this commentary starts off, or this interview starts off, uh, by noting that October, the month in which it was written, marks the 20th anniversary of The Bell Curve, the extraordinarily influential and controversial book by AEI scholar Charles Murray and Richard Hernstein. Here, Murray answers a few questions about the predictions, controversy, and legacy of his book. Now, skipping down to the relevant part here, one of the questions that's posed to uh, Charles Murray is, the firestorm of controversy about The Bell Curve was all about race. We now have 20 more years of research and data since you published the book. How does your position hold up? And here's what Charles Murray has to say. First, a little background. Why did Dick and I talk about race at all? Not because we thought it was important on its own. In fact, if we lived in a society where people were judged by what they brought to the table as individuals, group differences in IQ would be irrelevant. But we were making pronouncements about America's social structure. Remember that the book's subtitle is Intelligence and Class Structure in American Life. If we hadn't discussed race, the bell curve would have been dismissed on grounds that Hernstein and Murray refused to confront the reality that IQ tests are invalid for blacks, which makes their whole analysis meaningless. We had to establish that, in fact, IQ tests measure the same thing in blacks as in whites, and doing so required us to discuss the elephant in the corner, the mean difference in test scores between whites and blacks. Here's what we said. There is a mean difference in black and white scores on mental tests, historically about one deviation, one standard deviation in magnitude on IQ tests. This difference is not the result of test bias, but reflects differences in cognitive functioning. 
The predictive validity of IQ scores for educational and socioeconomic outcomes is about the same for blacks and whites. And he goes on to detail the uh, scientific uh, gumbledygook that that bears out in the data why this is so. And then he he points to a uh, paragraph that they included in their book, which qualifies all of the, this presentation and all of this data. They wrote, quote, if the reader is now convinced that either the genetic or environmental explanation has won out to the exclusion of the other, that is to say the explanation for this difference in the average IQ tests in whites and blacks, they continue, we have not done a sufficiently good job of presenting one side or the other. It seems highly likely to us that both genes and the environment have something to do with racial differences. What might the mix be? We are resolutely agnostic on that issue. As far as we can determine, the evidence does not justify an estimate. And commenting on this 20 years later, uh, Charles Murray says, that's it. The whole thing, the entire hateful Hernstein Murray pseudoscientific racist diatribe about the role of genes in creating the black-white IQ difference. We followed that paragraph with a couple pages explaining why it really doesn't make any difference whether the differences are caused by genes or the environment, but nothing we wrote could have made any difference. The lesson subsequently administered to James Watson of DNA fame is that if you say it is likely that there is any genetic component to the black-white difference in test scores, the roof crashes in on you. Now, the reason why I share this, the reason why I bring it up at all, is because I think it's important for, you know, if we're going to be, we, we had a whole show yesterday focused on the concept of reason and the importance of reason. If we're going to be rational in how we approach issues of race and issues of culture and issues of politics, which I think we have to be, Right. And, and again, let's acknowledge that the problem with racism, the reason why racism is bad, the reason why racism is immoral is specifically because it is irrational. Right. The idea that your your ethnic background or your racial identity predetermines certain characteristics about you that are that are going going to be negative because of the fact that you are uh, you fit into whatever group. You've been assigned to. That is irrational. There is a difference, however, a distinction to be made between group statistics, like averages, data, things that that are objective that you can point to, and where you can say this number is different than that number. There's a difference between that and the claim that because of those numbers, it means that you are going to be inferior to somebody else on account of your race. Those are two completely different claims, one of which is entirely rational, the other one of which is not. And what, what I find perplexing as, as a black man on the census, right, you know, half black, half white, multiracial, interracial marriage, product of, partner in, what I find interesting is how from the same folks who are constantly pushing the concept of diversity and tolerance on us, at the same time, they want to deny any sort of actual difference between all of these groups, right? And you, you see this play out particularly in gender right now. Men and women are exactly the same. Well, if they're exactly the same, then what's the point of even referring to them as such, right? What's the point of complaining about how women are, are getting the shaft in the workplace if, in point of fact, there's no actual difference between men and women? How do you know that they're getting the shaft when you can't even de determine 
by in, any sort of objective observation who among us are men and who among us are women, right? It doesn't make any sense. You can't have both diversity as a moral good and no actual differences noted amongst different groups. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, The premise behind the protest by Harvard University students against Charles Murray speaking at their campus, the premise is that because he wrote a book in which he cited data, different objective differences in statistical data showing that a mean average of blacks score lower on IQ tests than a mean average of whites, that because of that, because of the correlation between that and the claim amongst white nationalists or white supremacists that blacks are inferior as a whole to whites, that that makes Charles Murray a white nationalist or a white supremacist, right? And this is now the world that we live in. You, you can no longer, you can't even point out things that are objectively true because if you do so, and that, and, and that can be twisted in the most obscure way to be similar to an abhorrent, irrational belief, a racist belief, a bigoted belief, then you have become magically a bigot. You have become magically a racist. Forget what you've actually said. Forget the context in which it was said and forget whether or not it's an appeal to something that is objectively true or false by virtue of the fact that it evokes an emotion relative to something that is abhorrent, that means that you are just as abhorrent as whatever it evokes. You have become the white nationalist. You have become the KKK. You have become the Nazi. There's another example of that here from the Daily Caller involving Mike Rowe, who you may recall from Dirty Jobs. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130-1035 FM. Mike Rowe got into it with, uh, one of the, with a commenter on his Facebook page, the commenter, and I don't know what provoked this, but the commenter write, wrote something to the effect of one of the tenets of white nationalism is that college-educated people are academic elitists. And then he goes on to say, the, uh, there is a current uh, of anti-intellectualism in this country promoted by Republicans. Those people love you, and they think your initiative is their initiative. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is kicking our butt academically. That was the comment. And so, again— the premise here is because white nationalists equate college-educated people with academic elitists and because Mike Rowe has suggested for completely unrelated reasons that not everybody ought to go to college, right? Something that we've talked about here on this program with Howard Root. We had him in here for a whole hour talking about the objective case for why not everyone should go to college. Because white nationalists happen to think that college-educated people are academic elitists, and because Mike Rowe suggests that not everybody should go to college, that means Mike Rowe must be a white nationalist. That's the logic. And it's not even a joke. Like, that's quite literally the line that is drawn now. And it has become prolific. And in his response to this comment, uh, Mike Rowe made it quite clear that that's what's taking place, and he identified it as the larger problem. Th this is what he had to say to this commenter. You say that white nationalists believe that everyone who goes to college is an academic elite. 
You then say that Republicans promote anti-intellectualism. You offer no proof to support either claim, but it really doesn't matter. Your statements successfully connect two radically different organizations by alleging a shared belief. Thus, white nationalists and the Republican Party suddenly have something in common, a contempt for higher education. Then you make it personal. You say that Republicans love me because they believe that my initiative and their initiative are one and the same. But, of course, their initiative is now the same initiative as white nationalists. Very clever. Without offering a shred of evidence, you've implied that Republicans who support microworks do so because they believe I share their disdain for all things intellectual. And poof, just like that, Republicans, white nationalists, and microworks are suddenly conflated. And the next thing you know, I'm off on a press tour to disavow rumors of being associated with the Nazis. Far-fetched, far from it. That's how logical fallacies work. A flaw in reasoning or a mistaken belief undermines the logic of a conclusion, often leading to real-world consequences. And right now, logical fallacies are not limited to the warped beliefs of morons with tiki torches and other morons calling for more dead cops. Logical fallacies are everywhere. As I type this, a Democrat on CNN is making an argument that says because Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, those Republicans now opposed to tearing down his memorial are pro-slavery and therefore aligned with the modern-day KKK. That's a logical fallacy. Over on Fox, a Republican is arguing that any Democrat who has not yet condemned the senator from Missouri for publicly wishing that Donald Trump be assassinated is guilty of wishing for the exact same thing. That's a logical fallacy. Yesterday, on the Science Channel, Neil deGrasse Tyson, a noted astronomer, tweeted that the ability of scientists to accurately predict the solar eclipse was proof that predictions of global warming were also accurate. That's a logical fallacy. Want to hear another one? Imagine something like this unfolding over at MSNBC, and it goes on to, to cite a hypothetical. But Rowe's point here is, is absolutely critical. And Mike Rowe, you know, in, in his non-educated fashion, is one of the greatest sages in America right now in terms of the insight that he provides, not only in terms of the, the relationship of education to work and the flaws in our education system, but also this point, this, this observation of the culture, this observation of politics. Logical fallacy and the promotion of log logical fallacy as somehow valid is a greater threat to actual life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness than anything coming out of the KKK. It is a significantly bigger problem than racism, significantly bigger, and something that we ought to be more focused on. But of course, you won't see that because nobody can benefit politically from it. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.